Excuse me. Okay, now, how do you, friends, uh, feel about Januarys? How do you feel about Januarys? Uh, January can be the worst month uh, of the year for an awful lot of people. Canada. It's a tight month financially uh, for some. And on top of that, we've all got these broken New Year's resolutions that are bringing us down as well. Well, I say this every single January from the pulpit, and I think I'm going to say the same thing again this year. I love this uh, time of year. I think January's, uh, from a spiritual point of view, can be marvellous. January can be really good for the soul. And maybe uh, you see what I'm getting at, do you? As the rest of society assesses their own lives... And they think about what needs to change. What do they need to do? Surely we as the people of God can do something kind of similar to that. That at the start of the year, the first month of the year, you and I can just pause. We can kind of take stock and we can assess our own spiritual walk and our walk with Christ. Well, if, hypothetically speaking, of course, if we were to do that, I know that we're already halfway through January But if we were to assess our spiritual walk tonight, I think that there would be one question that should sit above all others in terms of importance. Here's the question. Friend, Christian friend, how is your relationship with Jesus? This point in your Christian walk, how is it? How are you viewing the Lord? How is your walk with Christ this very moment. Now, is it the case, when I say that, you think, oh, it's epic. Uh, Are you infatuated with, with Jesus, obsessed with Jesus, filled with affection for your Lord? Everything in your life is centering around Jesus. Is that it? Is that where you are? Or are what should be roaring flames of zeal for Christ Jesus. If you're honest with yourself at this point in time, those roaring flames are more like, you know, lightly smoldering embers. Does that, does that sum up where you are? Well, tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what you might say is a rather obscure portion of Scripture where David, the shepherd boy, becomes an armor bearer, becomes the musician to the Lord. But I want to start by reminding you of what this portion of scripture is here to do. Why is it here? This portion of scripture, from a redemptive historical point of view, what's it about? Why why have we got this portion of scripture? Is it to teach us about David? Well, yeah, of course it is. What else is it to do? To teach us about godly living? Yes, of course. But supremely, why is this portion of scripture here? is here to teach you about the Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. This portion of Scripture effectively, essentially, is here to teach you about the greater one who does what David does here. The greater one who also comes from Bethlehem, and he arrives as who? As God's chosen, anointed king. And to stir us in our affection for the Lord Jesus Christ this January 2018, the first thing that we need to notice in this portion of Scripture is the anointing of the King. So if you're taking notes, get that. The anointing of the King. The anointing of the King. (coughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. 
I'll excuse you. Uh, now, usually we are allowed to sort of bed in uh, to a portion of Scripture. We're allowed to settle into a section of Scripture before the trouble starts. Isn't that right? No such uh, joy this evening. No sooner have you opened your Bibles to this portion of Scripture than we are kind of slapped across the face <laughs> with a little bit of controversy. Are we not? Like, who? remember this. Come on, let's try and get back into the story, the series. Who's Saul? Saul is the king, but who is he? He is one who has just been uh, rejected by Samuel and by God. He's still in office, but you remember that from last time. He's been rejected by Samuel, rejected by God, but do you see what you're told about him in verse 14? We're told not only is Saul at this point in time, he's in turmoil or he's tormented. Okay, fine, you say, but look, I'm asking you, where does the torment come? Who sends the torment to him? Do you see it? It's God. Now, maybe you see why I say it's controversial. Do you see the problem with it? So a lot of people and a lot of commentators, they say, but hang on a second, I thought God was good. Like, I thought, I thought God was righteous. How can he be sending Saul what most of the translations of the Bible in English call an evil spirit? Like, how can a good God send an evil spirit into Saul's life? So you see the controversy, and it's a big controversy. People talk about this a lot. I actually think it's reasonably easily resolved, because do you know what? It's just, a, it's just a, a matter of translation. You see what we're dealing with here is not moral, evil. You're following that, you're with me. It's not that God is sending something that is sinful, or something that is wicked in any way in Saul's life. In fact, do you know what? We're really blessed. We've got the ESV in front of us. Praise God, because look how the ESV renders it. What sort of spirit is it? It's not evil. What is it? It's a harmful, disruptive spirit. Now, do you maybe see what we're dealing with here? That because of Saul's previous disobedience and his sin, God afflicts him. Now listen to the words. He afflicts the king with distress. There really is this sort of idea of a psychological illness we're dealing with here that Saul has. It's a kind of mental illness that comes upon the king. Now it's not something that is constant. It's not constantly mentally ill and, and psychologically disturbed. But it is something that kind of comes in bursts as you work through First Samuel, isn't it? If you know the book. You see? Now, see that turmoil? Take the turmoil and just pop it on a shelf. Because I want you as a congregation to notice something that is even more dramatic and important. Look at the very first words of, of verse 14 and the very first words of this section. Yes, he's, there's a harmful spirit and there's torment and yes, we can deal with that and yes... Look what's even more important here. What happens? We're told that the Spirit of God, like the actual Holy Spirit of Almighty God has departed Saul. That in actual fact, wouldn't you agree with me that what seems to take place here is a kind of transfer of God's favor from one person to the next. It's a transfer of God's power. I wonder if you thought that Adrian made a mistake earlier on. 
Did you think that? In the reading, Adrian and I were talking about this earlier on and there was a sort of worry I had that everyone was going to think that Adrian was making a fool of himself because you saw what he did. Adrian comes up and he reads most of the section, the previous section, doesn't he? He reads nearly all of the section and then suddenly when he gets just about to end the section, he stops one verse short. Do you see why he... He did that? When you look at verse 13? Do you see why we group verse 13 with what comes after it? Why? Because the Spirit has departed Saul. And where's it gone? It's anointed David. It's it's rushed upon. Do you see what I'm saying to you? That there is this transfer of power. And you understand, don't you? This is massive in 1 Samuel. I mean, this is a huge moment. Because what was the spirit of God to kings? Spirit's everything. I mean, the spirit symbolizes God's favor on these men. And the spirit leads the king, guides the king. The spirit enables the king to represent God on earth and represent the people before God. What are we coming to now? The spirit leaves. Isn't it desperate for Saul? The spirit leaves Saul and anoints David. This is massive. A huge moment in 1 Samuel. Now, we're up and running. Right? We're back into the sermon series. But I wonder if there's anything in this. What is God saying to you and to me through this portion of Scripture? In this turmoil for Saul, this torment, this transfer of power... What is God saying to us here? Well, I think a couple of things. This is surely the case. Tonight, London City Presbyterian Church, here, God is reminding you that He is sovereign in your life. Isn't that what you see with Saul? Because you know what it's like. Um, We go through really difficult times. Maybe that's where you're at tonight. We go through Utterly traumatic experiences, maybe even akin to what Saul goes through here. And what do we tend to do, even as Christians? We tend very often to associate those things with the work of the devil, don't we? Like we go through a time of poverty, a time of grief, a time of loneliness, a time of illness, a time of unemployment. And it's almost when we're praying, where it's almost kind of the fault thing, where we're wishing God would take back control. That it's the devil that's doing these things. Well, what do you see here with this trauma for Saul? What do you see? There is nothing outside of the control of Almighty God. No matter what it is that we're going through, there is absolutely nothing that comes outside of his remit. Everything, no matter how difficult that thing is, no matter how traumatic it is in your life, nothing that is outside of his control. And surely, if you're a Christian, and you know the Bible, surely that's of mighty comfort. Because what do you know? God will never ever allow anything, no matter how traumatic, to happen to you unless he is going to use it for spiritual good. So that thing that you're going through just now, perhaps, and it's a terrible thing and we don't lessen it and it might be 
ripping your life apart, you think? And, and, and you're crying, and you're up all night, and you're worried. Do you hear what I'm saying? That God is sovereign over every single element of whatever that is. But more beautiful, that God is using that for his very own honor and his very own glory. So we're reminded about God's sovereignties. We see this turmoil for, for Saul sent by God. But surely also the second implication is that this, doesn't it, a little bit stir your affection for the Lord Jesus Christ? When you read 1 Samuel chapter 16. Because what's happening here? Come on, what's happening? David is about to enter the fray, isn't he? And here he comes, this young shepherd boy, and he's the chosen one, he's anointed. But if you know for Samuel, what happens with David? He, he has chosen, but he sins. And he makes mistake, mistake, and he dishonors God. But what do you know of the Lord Jesus Christ, friends? Such was the empowering of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' ministry. What? He was enabled by the Holy Spirit to live a perfect life for God. Enabled this constant companion of the Holy Spirit in his earthly ministry. And now what does God have? God now has his perfect, perfect king. The spirit with him in conception. With him in temptation. With him in preaching. With him in his healing ministry. With him in his death. With him in his resurrection. In fact, the Holy Spirit so closely bound to Christ. What is the case tonight? That our king can anoint his people. That our king fills his church with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that marvelous? So anointed is Christ. He has worked salvation for us. And tonight, he reigns and reigns over all. So we see the anointing of the king. Okay, let's move on. We see second of all here, the greatness of the king. The greatness of the king. Now, I remember lots of years ago, uh, being sent a paper, a sort of uh, academic paper. And I was sent it through by a friend of mine who was a musician. So he was struggling uh, for work at the time, my musician friend. And he was looking into different areas for work. And he was hoping to get into, he sent through an, an article, this article, hoping to get into music therapy. That's just what he was getting into. Isn't it interesting how society and how we sometimes view music therapy? I always kind of viewed it as being really hippie-ish. Uh, it's a kind of music therapy. Oh, it's a kind of, it's a new age. It's not real. It's not all that helpful. It's not proper medicine. It's a bit new agey. That was, that was well, what do you, what do you see in 1 Samuel 16? The music, even from the most ancient of times, has been used to benefit the minds. That music is a gift from God that brings relief and brings peace. And you can see, I hope, how that plays out here. Because what happens here? Do you notice this? It's not only suggested to Saul. Can you imagine the turmoil, the torment for Saul? And it's suggested to Saul that not just that music will help... What else is suggested? You've got a, a, a courtier. You've got a, a, a court official. And he suggests, oh, wait a minute. I might have the man for the job. And isn't it incredible what happens here? If you think about the, the coincidences. It is David, the shepherd boy, 
who is suggested as, the, as a possible musician. Now, this is what we're going to do. We're going to come back to the coincidence. But for the time being, I think what we have to do is think about what I see as the most startling, noticeable element of this section of Scripture. And it is this. Incredible description that you have of David before you. And I was going to ask you if you noticed the description of David, but you must have noticed it. Because it seems, in a sense, so out of place. Do you know, it's like, it comes from the strangest of sources, this servant of Saul. And it's so, and remember David's a boy, but the description's so lofty and so detailed. It just seems so out of place. Do you, do you see? Let's look at it. Look at verse 16. First of all, look at that. David is spoken of as talented. So, I don't know. Let's say Jack. Let's pick and Jack. So, David is tall and musical. <laughs> I wonder if I picked on Jack. He's like Jack and Anne-Marie and Jeremy and Mary and others all sort of rolled into one. You get the idea. David is one talented musician, right? We've got that. So, that's how this description begins. But boy... Does it then suddenly get tricky? Look, look at how the servant goes on. He calls David a man of valor, a man of war. You're, surely, come on, you're with me when I say, can you see why that's tricky? As a description. Like David's just, come on, he's just a young lad, isn't he? Look after some sheep and a man of war? You see, in fact, you know what? It's so awkward, a description, that what a lot of commentators suggest is that this chronologically is in the wrong place. So a lot of commentators will say, well, see, this here, this description, should come after chapter 17. You see it? David, a man of war, after David and the Goliath incident. You see, now... That might be right, that could be right, or it might be, how about this, a reference to his family. You know, the idea that David comes from a long, long line of warriors. Here he is, a man of war. You see, that could be that, but either way, what's true? The servant isn't even finished there. Come on, look back at verse 16. Look at this. He's now not just talented, not just brave, he's now... Uh, prudent of speech, so he's incredibly wise. Then he's a man of good presence. The idea that you just clap your eyes on David for a second. You even get a little glimpse of this man, and there's awe, and there's reverence. And are you beginning to be impressed by David? Are you? If not, look down to verse 21, and look what we're told. David, eventually the young lad arrives from Bethlehem and what are you told? Saul loved him. Saul! I mean, Saul loved him. Man, like Saul loved him. Don't you read this description? Do you see how it's startling? Do you see? What do you think when you, when you ponder David now? You think this guy had to be special. I mean, this guy was something else. This guy was a cut above everyone in pretty much every single area. Now, all of that brings me to what I think 
is perhaps the most important point this evening. I know it's Sunday night. And we've, we've sat through preaching and difficult stuff. And then we've had a, a journey and then we've had food. And then we've had, you know, hospitality and, and so forth. And it's Sunday night and we're tired. Listen. I think there is a trap that we can fall into uh, in the Christian walk. And it's dangerous. And it's detrimental to our Christian faith. I think that if we let things slide spiritually, we get into a dry place spiritually, that if we think about Jesus at all, in these times of dryness, we think about Jesus' purpose, we think about his practice, but we do not think about his person. Now search your heart, Christian friend. Isn't that true? At times of difficulty, times of dryness, when you're struggling, we think about what... Christ has done in salvation. But we rarely, when we're struggling in our Christian faith, we rarely bask in who Jesus is. We rarely focus on his beautiful personality, his character, his goodness, his nature. And I think that there is a very, very good reason why this description of David is awkward. I think it's a very good reason why there's got to be a lot of exegetical energy (laughs) to a appropriate this to to David. Why? Because yes, this description is of David. But you can see what it does. It points beyond David as well. Do you see? It points you to your Savior and your Lord. So I ask you as Christians tonight, who is your Savior? What is Jesus like? You see that he is one more than David who is greatly gifted and generous, isn't he? And he is the man of valor, and he is the man of war. He is going to battle with Satan. He is going to battle with with death. He is going to battle with sin, and he is victorious. And he is the one who is wise, wise to salvation, wise in every way imaginable. You you see this, don't you? And you know, as a Christian, that. In the presence, even a glimpse of Jesus brings us wonder, brings us awe, doesn't it? There's reverence straight away. He is the king who is pure, and he is the one who is perfect, the one who only has words of eternal life on his lips. And so, yeah, we could read for Samuel 16, and we could say, David, wonderful but as the people of God saved in Christ Jesus, surely we say, yeah, but he is nothing, nothing compared to our Lord, nothing compared to Jesus. So surely you and I begin 2018 pondering the pardon of Christ. We think about salvation, yes. We wonder about what what it is that God has done for us. And we rejoice in these things. But we must rejoice in the character and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we close with a third thing. The hiddenness of the king. The hiddenness of the king. Hopefully, 
though it is Sunday night that you're with me thus far, soul tormented in this disruptive spirit, is suggested to him, do you know what would help you? Some music. So what does Saul do? Well, Saul sends for David. And David obeys. There's a lovely scene where Jesse, David's father, saddles the horse. Does he? No. He saddles a donkey with provisions, gifts, and sends off his son. And David becomes, from a shepherd boy, he becomes the armor bearer. He becomes a musician and he brings this sweet peace and relief to Saul. Now, as we've read this tonight, as Adrian has come up and read this, as Gabriel has read this and we have studied this this evening, I wonder if you all have seen what you're all supposed to see in First Samuel chapter 16. And that is, of course, the incredible <laughs> irony of this section of scripture. Isn't it incredible? Isn't it dripping with irony? Think about it for a moment. Saul is tormented because of an absence of the Holy Spirit. Where does he look for help? He looks to the very person that the Holy Spirit has gone to instead of Saul. Surely everyone here is thinking, yes, oh, and in this chapter, God has chosen David. And then Saul, in a sense, chooses David, isn't it? Full of irony. But I think it's surely the blindness of King Saul that really grips us. Isn't it here? Isn't it he has no idea of what is going on? He has just, now think about this with me, he has just invited into the palace his replacement. And he doesn't see it. Like he has just invited in the new king of Israel, the one that God has chosen to replace him. And he's as blind as a bat. He doesn't recognize David's identity. He doesn't recognize what God is going to do and has done through this man. He's blind to it all. And as we consider that, isn't there an echo of what would happen centuries later? What would happen centuries later? Just as... Jesse does here, God the Father sends off his son to Israel. What did Peter quote last Sunday night? Zechariah, rejoice! See, O daughter of Israel, who comes to you? See, your king comes to you. How? Righteous and riding a donkey. Your king comes to you. Riding a donkey and how was it that the people of Jerusalem in the first century responded to the king they were blind they didn't see it here before them in their very presence with the Lord of glory, their monarch, their sovereign and they did not recognize him and they executed the Lord of glory and isn't that blindness not just true of Jerusalem But it's true of London today. We love our city, don't we? I love our city. But isn't it blind? The people that you work with and the people that you live with and the people you study alongside. I mean, think about the reality here. King Jesus rules over them tonight. He is monarch over 
London. He is present as sovereign in London, in his church. And do the people of this city recognize it? They don't see any of it. And so surely it falls upon us to go and tell these people, to reveal to them the truth, to go and tell that Jesus Christ is King. But I close with this, a word for you in here who have not professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're visiting for the first time, perhaps you are here religiously every single week, but you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder simply this. Do you see what God is offering you tonight in 1 Samuel chapter 16 through the death and resurrection of his son? Now pause, think about it. In this portion of scripture, what is God offering and extending to you? Do you see what it is? Through the redeeming work of Christ Jesus, the atoning work of the Son of God. Friends, you can be soothed from your spiritual torment. Isn't that what is an offer here in 1 Samuel chapter 16? Through that work of the cross, through the resurrection from the dead, tonight, even in London City Presbyterian Church, even on a a night like tonight, God extends to you peace. He can have peace, eternal peace, and peace with God. Isn't that, isn't that epic? Isn't it? In fact, isn't it music to your ears? Friends, surely it is that we resolve after tonight to begin this year again. Let's do that. Let's begin this year properly, shall we? And let's begin it as the people of God should, praising the Lord Jesus Christ, bowing to him as God's eternally chosen king. Let's pray.